Listener production. Hey, Tom here. Our latest episode was on the fight to get Kathleen Folbig out of jail. She's the mother who was convicted of killing four of her own children, and she's already spent 20 years behind bars. Now, we spoke to her best friend, Tracy Chapman, about why she believes Folbig is innocent. And that was a really interesting conversation. But given Tracy is not a scientist... We didn't get too much detail on the advancements in genetic research that have led to the current judicial inquiry, which may lead to Folbig's release. So right here is an episode from our friends at The Science Briefing, where they do a great job of explaining the advancements in genetic research that may lead to the overturning of Folbig's verdict. So here's the interview between Science Briefing host Dr. Sophie Calabretto and Cosmos Magazine journalist Matthew Agus. And if you enjoy this, subscribe to their podcast, The Science Briefing. Hey, Sophie here. Just a heads up, you'll hear some heavy content in today's episode. You'll hear a story that deals with death in children. Listener discretion is advised. Could new scientific evidence release a woman from prison? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. Kathleen Folbig has been in prison for nearly 20 years, charged for murdering her children. But while she's been behind bars, genetics research has made exponential leaps, research that could be critical to her case. Today, Cosmos Magazine journalist Matthew Aegis on the Kathleen Folbig case and if this game-changing science could rewrite her story. So, Matt, I want to learn a bit more about Kathleen Folbig and her story. Who is she and what can you tell us? Yeah, well, I think the thing to start off by saying is that it's not an easy story for most people to hear, not just in terms of the science that we will go into, and that is very complex, but just in hearing the story, it's tough, but it's also important to tell. So Kathleen was born on June 14, 1967. Before she turned two years of age, her father murdered her mother. He was deported and Kathleen became a ward of the state of New South Wales. In 1987, she married a man called Craig Folbig. And about two years later, they had uh, their first child, a baby called Caleb. And 19 days after he was born, he died. Craig and Kathleen would then go on to have three more children, a son and two daughters, and all of them died incredibly young as well, at eight months, 10 months, and then 18 months. Now, according to medical records, these four children suffered from a series of conditions before they died. Caleb, who was the first child, had difficulties breathing since birth. The second boy, Patrick, who was also the second born child, suffered from epileptic seizures. And the two girls, Sarah and Laura, had respiratory infections or fever in the lead up to their deaths. In October 2003, Folbig was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the murder of three of her children and also on one charge of manslaughter. This was reduced to 30 years with a 25-year non-parole period after appeal. The sentencing in a jury trial was based on several pieces of what have since been described as circumstantial evidence, and that included diaries that she'd taken in the lead up to the deaths of those children. Folbig has 
always maintained that her children died of natural causes. Okay, so it's been nearly two decades since Volbig's sentence. There have been a lot of advancements in this story over that time. What can you tell us about what's happened? So in the last decade, there has been a petition calling to review her convictions, a petition calling for her pardon, and also two inquiries into Folbig's convictions. The reason for these petitions and inquiries is that while Folbig was in prison, science was making major leaps forward with research that could be relevant to her case. These advancements were being made in specifically areas like genetics research and protein research. So for context, when Folbig was first sentenced in 2003, the first human genome hadn't even yet been sequenced. And that was a massive development in genetic research, which basically put down for the first time all the genetic information that a human being might have. We're going to get into exactly why genetics matters when it comes to Kathleen Folbig. And that's because what has happened in genetics research is the major takeaway from this story. We now have a significantly more comprehensive understanding of both forensics and genetic science that if Folbig's story was playing out today, it's possible her case might not have even made it to trial. Okay, this is a huge deal, Matt. Let's dive into the genetics and protein research that is central to Kathleen Folbig. What do we need to know about this science? This area is focused on a family of genes called CALM, so C-A-L-M, and also how these CALM genes mutate. To understand what this area involves, we probably do need to do some genetics 101. All right, Matt, let's get into it. Where's the best place to start? Let's start with explaining what genes are before we understand how they can mutate. So firstly, a gene is made up of small units called nucleotides or bases. Nucleotides code for specific amino acids in groups of three. And coding in super, super basic terms is instructing how these amino acids should be made and how they should line up in a certain order. These amino acids then fold into a three-dimensional structure to create unique proteins in our body. These proteins are the bits of our body chemistry that actually do things. So they are what make up our hormones. They are what make up antibodies. They create functional structures within our body cells, which do a variety of jobs that keep us running. Okay, so genes build proteins in our bodies. Now let's look at gene mutations. Mutations can happen to the genes. And when a gene mutates, this probably means a nucleotide has changed and therefore is coding for a different amino acid. And because of these changes, the protein's final shape will be altered. Sometimes it's a bunch of different nucleotides in the gene that can change, or sometimes it's just one single nucleotide. Sometimes these single nucleotide changes and mutations can be meaningless and have no impact, but other times it can be devastating. And so that brings us back to the Folbig case and mutations of something called the CALM genes. What do we need to know about these CALM genes? So there are three genes in the CALM family, CALM1, CALM2, CALM3. 
these three genes all code for the same identical functional protein called calmodulin. Calmodulin, why is that important? Calmodulin has several functions around the body, but perhaps most importantly in the context of this Fulbig case is that calmodulin regulates chemical ions that move in and out of heart muscle cells. Let's unpack this, Matt. Calmodulin binds with ion channels, which are themselves highly specialized proteins and senses calcium levels within our heart cells. When calmodulin binds to the calcium that are inside our heart cell, it tells the ion channel that it's bound to, to close and stop letting more calcium in or out. These ions are important to keep the electrical signal, which is essential for our steady heartbeat to keep going. So calmodulin is a very, very important helper that literally helps our hearts beat. Right. So quickly recapping, calmodulin binds to these ion channels, basically keeping the level of calcium in our hearts in check. So what happens when a calm gene mutates? As in, what is the impact on the person? So any mutation on the CALM gene could create malfunctions that cause rare, life-threatening heart disorders called calmodulinopathies. These include disorders such as arrhythmia, so that causes an irregular heartbeat. Why is this important when we're looking at the Kathleen Folbig story? The major point here is that for a long time, and this includes at the time Kathleen was first sentenced, so in 2003, scientists believed that you could not live if you had mutated calmodulin proteins. It wasn't even in the realm of possibility. When it came to Kathleen Folbig and her children, it wasn't in the picture to be ruled out because science hadn't discovered it yet. But in the years after Folbig was sentenced, scientists started to establish this connection that people albeit in extremely rare cases, can carry CAR mutations and that some very rare people can even live with mutated calmodulin proteins. And scientists discovered that Kathleen Folbig was one of these people. She was a carrier of a mutated calmodulin protein. But not only that, she had passed that mutation onto her two daughters. They were also carriers. And so scientists began to piece together that because Folbig's two daughters carried these mutations, that this could somehow be behind their premature deaths. Wow, okay. So what can you tell us about these CALM mutations? Folbig and her two daughters, Sarah and Laura, carried a mutation in the CALM2 gene. You'll recall I mentioned there's three genes, but they all code for the same protein. Yeah. The mutation is called G114R. G stands for glycine, which is the smallest amino acid. 114 stands for the point in the genetic code where it should be synthesized or created. Mm -hmm. And R stands for arginine, the amino acid which this mutation creates in place of glycine. The researchers also found that calmodulin mutations could predispose someone to things like heart arrhythmia and sudden cardiac death. So this discovery that Folbig and her two daughters carried a mutation of the CALM gene was made by a group of scientists in the lead up to the first inquiry into the Folbig case. 
That inquiry was held in 2019 and came about after a petition in 2015. So this petition was led by a group of concerned scientists and they delivered it to the then New South Wales Governor, David Hurley, petitioning for Folbig's convictions to be reviewed. But this discovery wasn't enough in the end. The scientific experts disagreed in their final reports that this rare mutation was responsible for the deaths of the two daughters and these findings did not exonerate Folbig in 2019. However, it didn't stop there. More than a year after the first inquiry, another world-leading study found there was a likely role the CALM2 mutation had played a part in the deaths of Folbig's daughters. The science was backed by a huge number of scientists, 90 eminent scientists in fact, three Nobel Prize winners from Australia, the then present and incoming chairs of the Australian Science Academy. They all signed another petition to the New South Wales Governor and this led to the second inquiry, which we saw kick off on Monday the 14th of November 2022. Okay, so what can you tell us about this latest inquiry? I mean, what have been the latest developments in the Folbig case? Yeah, so on the second day of the inquiry, two Danish research professors who were involved in the very first discovery of a calmodulin mutation presented new evidence. Their names are Michael Toft Overgaard and Metty Nygaard. And again, Sophie, there's some tricky science here, but it is super important to unpack this so that we can understand what's happened with Kathleen Folbig. We've already talked about how calmodulin binds with calcium ion channels to help keep the heart beating normally. Calmodulin also, however, plays an important role in regulating sodium ion channels, which are also vital to heart function. Right. Another calmodulin mutation to the gene called SCN5A codes for a sodium channel called NAV1.5. That can cause something called Brigada syndrome. People with Brigada syndrome are at huge risk of abnormal heart rhythms and sudden cardiac death. And fatal events usually happen when people with the SCN5A mutation are asleep and they're often associated with a fever. Now, remember, this is separate from the mutation that Folbig and her daughters had. Okay, two different mutations. How are the two linked, Matt? Research in this field is still at the very early stages of understanding, but knowledge is growing. And it's some very new research completed literally the week before the 2022 Folbig inquiry started that's found a new link. The Danish researchers Toft Overgaard and Nygaard completed a series of assays or tests that showed that the Folbig CALM2 G114R mutation also completely prevents calmodulin binding to the Na1.5 sodium channel. So it behaves at NAV1.5 in an incredibly similar way that the SCN5A mutation that causes Brigada syndrome does. It turns out that G114R is located precisely at the site that calmodulin binds to that NAV1.5 sodium channel. Okay, Matt, so just trying to distill this down to the underlying issue, it sounds like both mutations have an issue with a binding process. Is that correct? Yes, you're exactly right. 
what this research has shown is that a mutation on either the ion channel or the calmodulin protein is not good. While these two mutations are on very different genes, the fact that they disrupt an important protein binding process appears to have the same effect. They both disrupt sodium regulation in heart cells, which in turn can disrupt the electrical rhythm of the heart. Again, Matt, really spell this out for us. What does this mean? This research could provide an explanation as to why the Folby girls died so young and also why they died while they're asleep. They were known to have had a fever in advance of their death. The fever is associated with Brigada syndrome And while their mutations aren't the same that have been associated with Brigada syndrome, the researchers in presenting their evidence made an observation that it could lead to similar symptoms or a mix of conditions with these different pathologies that exist with people with mutations on calmodulin. It's believed that this discovery and the data that they've produced will fill the blanks and resolve the conflict between experts that came up or took place in the 2019 inquiry. So Matt, these are some huge findings. Scientists have evidence that the CALM gene mutations could have been involved in the death of the two daughters. So what now for Folbic? What do these findings mean for her? So the inquiry has now been adjourned until February next year to allow experts time to review the new evidence. Part of the reason for that is because these new findings from Toft Overgaard and Nygaard was so fresh It was literally the weekend before the inquiry was due to start that they submitted their results, that the other expert witnesses due to be called have now been pushed back to next year so they can review this evidence as well. Now, to your question of what happens next or what happens after this is really above my pay grade, but one of the things that we at Cosmos have learnt from doing stories about Kathleen Folbig is that at least in Australia, Science and the law are rather uneasy mates in some ways. The law is all about finality and resolution, but even now, in the face of what appears to be very persuasive scientific evidence, the current inquiry will not be determined on the basis of science alone. And the inquiry's head, who is former New South Wales Supreme Court Chief Justice Tom Bathurst KC, has made that clear. As I understand it, it will come down to one of several outcomes. If Bathurst is convinced by the new science explaining these deaths, he may recommend to the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal that it goes ahead and considers this new evidence. The court could then take one of several actions. One of those is to overturn Fulbig's conviction, and that is what these petitions have been calling for. It could also recommend a retrial where a new jury would be called and would then consider all of this evidence, including the new evidence, once again. However, the Court of Appeal could also find, based on what Tom Bathurst KC sends up to them, that the jury of the original case would have been unlikely to have been sufficiently compelled by this new evidence to find Folbig not guilty. So that is to say that if at the time of her original trial this evidence had been available, they wouldn't have come up with a different verdict. They would have still found her guilty. In that case, it would mean that she would remain in prison until her non-parole period or the end of her sentence. But we won't know more about any of this until next February, and there will be lots of people right around the world watching with very keen interest to see where this inquiry picks up and where it goes. 
So that was a really good episode of The Science Briefing. If you enjoyed it, subscribe to their podcast. They do great quality explainers like that twice a week. The Science Briefing. Subscribe. Listener.